Amen. The war goes on. The war is won. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You are the deliverer, the healer, the savior, son of God. You defeated our enemy on the cross. You came out of the tomb. Death could not hold you, Lord God. And even now, Satan cannot intimidate you because you have got everything under control. And we thank you, Lord, now for this audience. We thank you for the people who listen. We thank you for encouraging their hearts today. Do not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we will reap if we do not faint. Lord God, comfort and strengthen the faint of heart, Lord God, and heal and protect those who are being deceived and drawn into snares. Father, I pray that you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and heart to discern what is going on, that we will not be misled, not be coaxed, not be talked out of things, not be challenged to give up the truth. Father God, I thank you, Jesus, that you've given us power and authority over all the power of the enemy. Cause us to use it, not to be intimidated, to trust you, Lord God. It is your power, your strength, your authority that defeats our enemy, even as you've given us back the authority that you originally gave us in the garden. And I thank you, Jesus, for the promise that no weapon formed against us will prosper. Um, the devil is going to eat our dust, so to speak, because he crawls on dust. And I thank you, Lord, for protecting our families, those who work for us and pray for us. The many who have co- you've called even now to stand up, rise up, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in various and creative ways. We think of the people who are fearless to promote the truth no matter what. And we thank you for divine protection over all of them and all that pertains to them for all of us, Lord God. We thank you for your divine protection. We thank you now, Lord God, for wisdom. We thank you for the guiding of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the testimony of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the victory, and we thank you for the ending, which is good in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever wondered why things happen the way they do in your life, and they seem to be happening again and again, no matter what you do to try to change them? Well, the Bible tells us that the curse without a cause does not come. So there must be a reason for the lack of blessing and the presence of the curse in our lives. Diagnosing your family tree will help us to restore our blessings, um, take our authority to bring back the blessings of God in our lives. So diagnosing your family tree, check it out at liferecovery.com and get your copy today. Well, Marjorie, you recently did a seminar entitled It Runs in the Family, and it was dealing with generational curses, generational sins. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that have questions about this whole idea of generational sins, generational curses. A lot of people may be confused by that. A lot of people are may may be, um, it may be a new concept Mm -hmm. to, or some people it may even be a unbiblical concept. Right, exactly. You know, uh, we're going to talk today about some of the questions people have regarding this whole area of generational curses, generational sins. And one of the issues is this, that past, mm-hmm. why not just leave it in the past? You know, if there's a line of, de- isn't there a line of demarcation where, okay, it's before Christ, after Christ, mm-hmm. and then all this stuff, we're forgiven totally, mm-hmm. and... uh 
all this stuff is in the past, it's gone, it's forgiven, so why even bother talking about generational curses? Wow, you've really put a lot of scriptures together there. But let's begin. Um, First of all, you said, um, old things pass away, behold, all things become new. And that is true. Everything you've said there is true, but it's only one side of the truth coin. And so that's why Satan, for example, he uses old things pass away by saying something like, well, it's a new day, you know, and he, you know, we don't have to look back. We don't have to deal with anything back there because it's all under the blood. It's all forgiven. But let's begin. If it's all in the past, really, I mean, first of all, go back for a second. Um, Old things pass away. Old things are passing away. But when I got saved, my old car didn't become a new car. Um, it's what is how is a process of of uh, restoration, uh, regeneration, and the thing is, we also still live in two. Not once you're saved, you live in two sets of reality. You live in the reality of this world. You know the um, the, you're, you know you're we're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, but we're also still sitting from time to time in the rush hour traffic or in the dentist's office or whatever. So it's two sets of reality, and we have to realize that that's part of, you know, what we are in right now is this wicked, evil, evil world. And we're also, but very victorious in Jesus Christ, ambassadors from heaven. So we have two sets of reality. So we can't just choose one over the other. We have to understand the one is to predominate the other. The spiritual world, the counsel of the Holy Spirit is to dictate our life from now on, not the old uh, regiment of Satan. But so when Satan says it's a new day, well, it is a new day. But it's also a day of of of, of um, walking out that newness in the spirit to take authority over, to take dominion over the old day. So Paul said, "Work out your own salvation with fear with and trembling." Tre- it's not working for it; it's working it out, letting this salvation process correct uh, <clears throat> flow. And he also says right after that, after the semicolon, he says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So, but back to the generational questions, it's all in the past. Well, if it's all in the past and the past is irrelevant, think about it logically. Everything you've done in the past is irrelevant. Your marriage, uh, your children that are born, your birth, uh, your, your own birth, crimes committed, uh, anything, history is inconsequential. And that's kind of what they're trying to do right now is cancel out all that culture. But the past is... Um, what needs to be also, that's where we come from. That's what we need to deal with. And, and even the, even David said in Psalm 51, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Um, Paul says it in the, in the New Testament kind of in a similar way, um, I've, I've got this body of death hanging on me and who is going to, you know, deliver me from this. So, so David is saying that we're brought forth in iniquity. He says, and in sin my mother conceived me. So that means really that, that DNA that you inherited from your uh, at your conception is carrying information codes information, and that information is some of it is our, the DNA that carries the the marks of sin, the sins of the generations, and it's not God who marks those marks on our DNA. It is the enemy who wants to keep track of them so he can use them again and again from generation to generation to open those doors. Th- those those marks are. Um, bitterness, roots of bitterness, unconfessed sins, um, uh, um, unforgiveness, and in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, injustices—all of these things, crimes that are still on our marked on our bloodline. 
So we have a, a genetic inheritance, and we also have a spiritual, spiritual inheritance. Right. And they're both on the same strands of DNA. Mm-hmm. And, and you, because there are patterns. People have patterns. You know, there can be a pattern of car accidents, for example. And, and where would you see? I see this all the time in people. Um, but where, what gene, what strand of coding indicates car accidents from generation to generation or, or loss of inheritance? What, it, what, what is that? There's got to be a spiritual component, um, a, a, a spiritual record of that as well. And I believe Satan holds on to that record. And that's why um, when we do the generational um, geneogram, we call it, uh, we look at the history, the generational history, even your doctor asks you to do a medical history because he knows those things come down. Is there diabetes in your family? Is there, you know, he doesn't necessarily ask you if there's a history of car accidents because he's sticking with the, you know, the physical stuff. But um, these things are marked. And so th- these are open doors. These are unconfessed sins. These are things that have not yet been dealt with. The, the record hasn't been closed. And so um, as you are born again, you also are dragging into your new life this old junk that needs to be dealt with. Well, the old junk has been there, and it doesn't automatically go away, disappear right. because you're you're born. Again I think believer. I think that's true. A lot of Christians think there's this magical situation where I'm now yes, absolutely, you're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You are eligible for heaven. You are saved. You're born again. But just because you're born again, just because you bought the house, salvation is like Jesus buying the house. Just because you're saved and you agree to the deal and let Jesus buy your house and give him your heart doesn't mean the house doesn't need to be cleaned. We also we all buy houses that need to be fixed up a little bit. You know, we call them fixer-uppers. But so he's had a lot of fixer-uppers uh, that he's, you know, brought, brought into the kingdom. And he wants us to um, not... He says, it, Paul says, you know, forgetting those things which are behind. I get that. And that's true because you have to let go of regret. You have to let go of guilt. You have to let go of your judgments against yourself. You have to let go of the judgments you've made against God or other people. Um, you've got to let go of that stuff because you, you, you can't handle it anyway. You can't fix it anyway. But, but remember also it says, um, he reminds us in, the, in uh, the Old Testament, to look to the pit from whence you were dug. So Christ wants us to remember that we are brought forth from a pit. Look to it. Remember it. And um, don't go back there, but just be aware of it. It says in uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, uh, to those who love me and keep my commandments. So. Mm-hmm. There's that principle too that there's iniquities of the fathers mm-hmm, very much are, so are visited and it's not we're not really blaming those fathers but we're just we're coming to a place of understanding of how those iniquities affect us is that a question yes that is a question because people think that the iniquities are done for, and it's under the blood. I get that. And and I've had pastors come and, and just really reject what I'm saying because they have cliches. We all have cliches. It's under the blood. What does that mean? What does it mean the, the sins of you know are, are passed away, whatever? Um, when God himself says they come down, he says in Leviticus 26, um, 39 through 40, he says the sins of the fathers are visited. Oh, you just said that. I'm sorry, that's an Exodus. He said... Um, 
if you will confess your sins mm-hmm. and the sins of your fathers, which are with you. Which are with you. Yeah. Then I will restore the covenant. So there is something we have to do. Yes, they're under the blood. Jesus did what he did. And it's it's technically all taken care of. You know, the the the, the law has been declared. It is taken care of. You are uh, forgiven. Your sins have been washed away through the blood of Jesus Christ. Um, that's been declared in the courts of heaven. But uh, Satan can still trick us into believing, I have to do something, I have to do it myself, Um, it's up to me. Um, And so the sins, you know, what do I have to do to enforce the declarations of heaven? That's really what it comes down to is, you know, yes, they've got these sins hanging out here, but what am I to do to, um, to get that, enforce that blood of Jesus Christ cleansing? Talk to us about the awareness or lack of awareness of these things. So, yeah. in other words, someone is a born-again believer. There's, you know, they're wanting to serve God and everything, but then you know, there's certain diseases, certain patterns that are still in force in their lives, mm-hmm. and they might not be aware at all that these are uh, patterns uh, of iniquity that are coming down to them. Well, that what, very exact thing, what you're just saying, the patterns give us evidence that these things are still active. Um, yes, it's under the blood, but I have to appropriate and enforce the, the my rights as a blood-bought daughter of God to get that freedom, to get that deliverance. But if I'm going to go with all of my mental, emotional, soul responses like, I don't know, it, it, what I don't know won't hurt me, it's already done, it's no big deal... And these patterns are just constantly in your life, but you ignore them, and you've come, that therefore you have come into an, a passive agreement with the things that are going on in your life that it's okay. It's okay for the devil to continue to steal inheritances or wreck relationships uh, between parents or children or whatever from, from generation to generation because it is what it is. And so if we don't, if this passive acceptance, passive agreement is what Satan is using to continue to bring the devastation of those, of the, of the blood guilt down from one generation to the so next. So passive agreements, I mean, it, it's, it's a form of ignorance, right? And I mean, how many believers are aware of these generational sins, curses that, and so they're trying to, in a sense, run the race with Christ when they've got uh, they've got a cement block tied to each of their ankles. Right. Well, they want to live in the now, and they don't want to really recognize or deal with the past because, um, you know. So we just want to, you know, uh, we we recognize that you know we want to do it our way kind of thing. But the thing is, God God's word gives us instruction. If you still see the past creeping up on you or the, you know, there, there are regrets. People always talking about the regrets. Well, where do regrets come from? They come from the past. They come from feeling bad about something or, or, or feeling guilty. Where does that come from? Well, it comes from something you felt like you should have done and didn't do, uh, or should have taken responsibility or not. And so we have got to really engage in our own personal walk with Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit who's going to lead us into all truth and triumph. He's the one who's going to lead us out of these snares and pits and accusations because Satan is using these crimes that are still on the books to petition his case in the, in the court of heaven against you. He's saying, but God, I still, I have a right to bring down this, this blood clot or this murder or this, uh, 
uh, devastation because there was murder in the bloodline and no one has ever confessed it. No one has ever dealt with it. I know Jesus did. Yeah, I got that. Yeah, he did it, but they don't know that. And they're not calling upon their resources and their, and so therefore I have a right. So Satan's right is, his right is to deceive you, to trick you and to sin and, and to, and to, um, complain against you to God. And that's why in Revelations it says, uh, I think it's chapter 16 maybe, um, the accuser of the brethren is finally put down. And I think God is sick of him too because the accuser is accusing us night and day and he goes to God and accuses us all the time. He's like a tattletale. He goes up there to tell all the bad things that God should know about you, which God already knows about you. God knew from the foundation of the world all this stuff and he still loves you and he's still got a way. He's making a way for you to be uh, delivered and healed. But we have to walk in that way and we walk in that way through obedience. So the key that Satan uses to, uh, to unlock the, the devastation against us is disobedience. Remember in, De- in Deuteronomy 27, God listed all the, the sins that, you know, don't remove the neighbor's landmark, don't in, take, uh, cast a stranger off the, off the road, don't steal, don't kill, don't commit incest, um, you know, various things, 27. And then in 28, he says, if you obey me, then it'll be well with you. But if you don't obey me, chapter uh, 28, starting with verse 15, and all the way to verse the end of the chapter is as many verses. He says, these bad things are going to happen to you. Um, mental illness and um, loss of life and loss of children and uh, physical issues. Go ahead. Well, what if someone says, well, now that was Old Testament. Mm-hmm. We're in the New Testament now. Yeah. How would you respond to that? Right. There's question? a lot of, there's a lot of questions that about that, that, that this does isn't relevant. And again, that goes back to enforcing the, the, uh, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he paid for all of these crimes that Satan is charging you with. Jesus paid for So when you go to the court of heaven, you say, but God, Father God, this has been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now here's what you have to do then. You have to acknowledge it first. You can't say, well, I don't have to, you know, I don't have to do anything. Well, acknowledge it. It did happen. And say, Lord, I come as the authorized representative now to confess um, those sins, confess your iniquities and the iniquities of your fathers. You know, those sins are meant not to stay, only to visit. And God even said um, in Ezekiel, he said that the the children and the fathers are separated. You know, we don't have to have, just because the father's evil, does the, the child doesn't have to go that same way. And so he can have his own freedom to go his own way, Ezekiel 18. And so we do have an option to, you know, change the default on this generation of sin. Um, but, you know, in the, in, let me going on to the second part of that question. In the New Testament, um, we said, well, we don't see much about that, you know, generational sins. But what, yes, we really do. Um, in Matthew, for example, this is uh, one of the most prominent of all of them. Um, he says in 23, he's kind of um, charging the uh, Pharisees and the scribes with, you know, kind of naming them and telling us yeah, what they he's do. more Coming than kind of. He's he's, <laughs> kind he's reaming you, blind them. Pharisees, <laughs> you vipers, you woe to you hypocrites, you whitewashed tombs. I mean, he's not. Is he judging them? Here's a good question for last week. We talked about judging versus discerning. I would say he's calling it out for what it is. But anyway, as he goes on with this list of scathing um, truth against them, he says indictments. Um, he says, I'm verse 28 and following. He says, even so you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. 
because you build here, listen to this. You build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have partaken, um, part, we would not have been partners or partakers with them in the blood of these, of the prophets. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Now notice he's, he's, he's connecting the fathers and the sons. You are the sons of those who did it. And of course he's saying, and your behavior still demonstrates the same thing. The hypocrisy, the, you know, the lawlessness. And then he goes on to say, verse 32, fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, indeed, I send prophets to you, wise men and scribes, some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. He's saying your behavior is still the same. That on you, listen, they're doing what their dads did. That on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Assuredly, I say that all these things will come upon this generation. So he's connecting, you know, Abel's, Death, the bloodshed of Abel, all the way to Zechariah, all the way to where they stood on that day. He's saying, you're going to be responsible for all of these because you're the, the sons of the prophet, uh, of, the, of the people who did it, the murderers, and the crucifiers, and the killers, and you never repented. You never were converted. You never stopped and said, you know, I, I, I confess this is a sin. This was an abomination. Killing these prophets was an abomination. Again, nobody seems like, here's the problem. We get all this free stuff from God and nobody ever stops to really admit or thank or say, you know what, God, you're right. I did need salvation. I was lost. I was covered with blood guilt. I am, uh, you know, lo- locked up in these same destructive patterns as my generations past. Most of us don't get converted. We just get saved. We don't really change much of what we you know, we step into salvation. Okay, now I got Jesus. Now I got my, my, my fire insurance. Now I'm good to go. But we don't really dig into or allow the Holy Spirit to dig into us and begin to transform us and convert us. And this is why some of the, like, for example, Peter, you know, at that moment where he denied Jesus Christ, that was his conversion moment. He finally admitted, I can't, he was always trying to do it himself and run the show and get Jesus elected to something. And finally, he just said, I'm done. I'm, I'm, you really have to come to the end of yourself. I mean, when we talk about salvation, we talk about new birth. But most of the time, we don't die. You know, Paul says, reckon the old man dead. So we don't really aren't taught to say, okay, it, to live is Christ. Now I live in Christ. Not, it's not me. It's no longer me. It's Christ who lives in me. Um, we kind of just keep pushing along our old narrative, our old act, and Satan, with his demonic um, accusations, keeps coming after us in our soul to bring us to the place of guilt and failure, and the past keeps coming up against us all the time. If you stop, you know, another thing, just real quickly, you know, common sense and logic and reason themselves would tell you that the generational curses are still here because of the patterns. But and what about just, what about if their common sense is is very rare? Anyhow, well, you know, we're taught to we're taught not, to deny. Don't look yeah. at it. Don't deal with it. Go escape. Go do something else. Pretend it's okay, um, and then accept it passively by saying it is what it is. 
And so we just, the devil, you know, he just keeps, and he keeps lying to us, telling us half-truths all the time. And so we don't go back and say, you know what, what is the root of this, you know, four generations now we've had, um, whatever it is you've had, I don't know, um, heart attacks. What is the root of this thing? How come everybody, you know, dies at about 56 years old from a heart attack? Yeah, the last three generations. Yeah, they did it. What's that about? I'm a Christian. Um, that looks like a curse to me because the Bible says you should live to be 70 or 80. So we got it. We, you, can, you can accept it and say, well, it just, it's just going to happen. No, I'm going to die young. I mean, it's just everybody in my family dies at, you know, 56. Or you can say, you know what? That's not God's will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there are, if you think of there's a lot of places, uh, particularly in the Old Testament, and you can find it in the New as well, where there are crimes out there. In other words, crimes that ha- are, are outstanding. Yeah, on you the know, books. It, it's Still like, on the books. It's like, mm-hmm. kind of like now that someone shoots somebody in, in, in the city and we don't, there, there's no suspects, but there's a criminal out there somewhere that committed a crime that deserves punishment. Now, if you look at, for example, um, when Israel was about to go into the promised land, right? They started to. They went, took a Jericho, and then they were going to go to Ai or I. And um, what happened was one of the guys um, was told to, you know, don't take any of their stuff for yourself, but he did. And God says in uh, Joshua chapter 7, verse 11, Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant for which I commanded them. For they they have even taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived, and they have also put it among their own stuff. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies because they have become doomed to destruction. Right. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed thing from among you. So here it was a case where there was one person in the camp mm-hmm. that had violated a direct command of God and it brought defeat to to the whole nation. So how did that work? How did that work? Okay, good question. Well, it works like this. Um, Satan sees the... Uh, what was his name? The guy who did the... Uh, Aiken. Aiken, thanks. So God, so Satan goes to the court and says, Aiken is listening to me. He didn't follow instructions. He stole that, uh, what you told him not to stole, the gold and the, bab- the nothing that belongs, the gar- yeah, and, that belongs okay. to the enemy. Yeah. He's got it. He's hiding it. And he's thinking he's going to get by with it. But I am calling for this... Uh, I'm calling for justice on this right now. And Satan's justice is an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. If that guy died, one guy sins, they all get in trouble. And so he was calling it before the court, calling it out before the court of heaven and say, I want to judge this right now. And God was saying, yeah, he did disobey me. See, the key is obedience. If you obey, then Satan doesn't have his, his case won't stand in the court of heaven. But, but this man had Achan had not yet confessed anything. And so everybody was in trouble. And Satan is actually saying, I have a right to do this. And God is saying, uh, yeah, you're right. And so God permitted, he didn't want, wasn't his perfect will, but he permitted it because that was, that was at that point in time, the rule. And so um, it was, but then God, on the other hand, went and cued Joshua in as to what was going on. And they picked the guy and they had to destroy him. So Satan 
couldn't use that anymore to destroy in the next battle and the next battle. He couldn't use that again and again against the children of Israel. So point being, in our generational line, in our in our inheritance, spiritual and even even physical DNA, uh, there are unresolved crimes hanging out there. Right, all the I time. I mean, there are crimes that are there, and in a sense, they're they're haunting us. Yeah, still. exactly, because it's like the devil keeps using them again, steer generation, because you have that bloodline again and again. And it's like, here's part of the problem. I mean, the most of us don't look very deeply into the Word of God or into the spiritual dynamics. We do not know the ground rules. We do not know the spiritual warfare rules, the paradigm of spiritual warfare. We don't know... Uh, how this thing ever works, and we don't really put the devil in the equation, and we're we're really taught not to. We're saying, "Oh, just let the devil well, be," you know. Wait, hey, wait a minute. The devil is a defeated foe, right? Okay. Well, so why worry about him? Well, if he's defeated, then why are we going through what we're going through right now? Look around, and does he look very defeated to you? He is in spiritual. Uh, truth, defeated. Yes, he is. And that's, again, another thing we need to enforce. Satan, you do not have a right to steal my whatever it is. You don't have a right to take my whatever. You don't have a right to wreck my day. Fill in the blank. He, he does not have a right, but he will do it because he is the devil unless you take a stand and declare your rights as the blood-bought daughter, son of the Most High God and say, no, you won't. But most people have been that the gospel is severely handicapped when it's not fully taught. And if you're only teaching the good parts and not the bad or the difficult Satan parts, you're going to you're going to mislead the people and they're going to become vulnerable and they're going to become uh caught off guard because they're they're not prepared for the war that they're in. They're, you're saying, "Oh, there's no war, there's no war. It's fine, it's over. Jesus did it. You know, just relax until he comes and gets us." But you're in the middle of a war. And you don't realize it. So if you're in the middle of a war and you don't realize it and there's snipers sitting outside your door and you don't know it, you're not going to be careful when you go out the door. You're not going to be cautious. You're not going to be aware. You're going to be you're going to be assassinated is what you're going to be. What, how many people uh, go through life and issues and stuff and they come to this conclusion? It is what it is. Well, this is very, that's a new saying. That's only been around that I've heard of maybe for the last, uh, I don't know, 10, 15 years. I mean, but it, I'm sure others, have, it, but it's a, it's a settling, it's a defeatism, it's a giving up, it's a passive agreement, it's a, you know, let it be. And so we don't want to, you know, we're spending so much time denying the truth that we're wearing ourselves out. We might as well just accept the truth and engage in the battle. Jesus, you know, when Jesus came down here, he really engaged in the battle. He started casting out demons. He started healing the sick. He started, pre he pre preached the gospel. He died on the cross. He really engaged. He didn't you know, just take, oh, this is what it is. It's a mess. And oh my God, what am I going to do about this? He began to engage, dig in and do what he had to do. And he gave us then the authority and the power to follow him and to do the same thing. Amen. Amen. <laughs> well, listen, another thing here is, uh, you know, is everything coming from a generational sin? I mean, let me just give you an example here in the in the book of John. John chapter 9, verse 1, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Okay? Mm -hmm. He's born blind. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents said he was born blind. So they had an understanding of generational curses. And sins, right? right. Mm -hmm. Generational sin. Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. 
So, what? How how do we reconcile that? Yeah, how we reconcile that here in a sense. It wasn't necessarily not saying he said it wasn't because his parents sinned, but okay, so it was for the glory of God that to, to manifest. It was allowed by God so God could bring a so, solution. So we should just all be sick and unhealed so God can be glorified. Well, I believe God is glorified in healings. I absolutely do, and I believe that that's awesome. But at the same time, you have people who use this verse. And many Satan uses the Bible all the time. He, he uses it to, to dissuade us from the full truth. <clears throat> Jesus answered and said in verse 3, he said in chapter 9, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. And then um, he goes on to say, well, first they asked him who sinned, of course, this man or his parents, that he is born blind. So they're attributing his blindness to sin. Well, a dumb question. How does a baby sin in the womb? How does this baby, he's born blind. Mm-hmm. So how did he mm-hmm. sin to, uh, and, 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 you know, and even in the, another um, passage in the Bible where the tower fell on the people of Siloam or yeah, whatever it was. the tower of Siloam. Jesus said, the, the guy says, well, why did it fall on Jesus? Says, Do you think they were worse than the rest of you? I mean, it's not coming as necessarily a judgment against any particular people. However, Satan will bring these events as a judgment. Going back to this um, blind man, Jesus, notice what he said and what he didn't say. And a lot of times people don't recognize or realize what is not said is as important as what is is said. So Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Um, He didn't say no one had sinned. He didn't say there wasn't a generational sin, but they make it to sound like that. Mm. There, wa- there was a generational predisposition. There was a, because Satan uses the sins of the generations as his right to bring down a judgment upon that person and the next generation because the sins are visited down if you do not confess them. The Bible says if you don't confess them, your sins and the sins of your fathers, as Jesus said, you are of the those you are the sons of those who killed the prophets. Therefore, you're just as guilty because you have never acknowledged it. Now, if these guys, these scribes, Pharisees, would have said, "Yeah, you're right. We acknowledge this. This is terrible. I mean, we can confess this. See, this is part of the problem that the steps to deliverance in a generational, um, you know, as generational sins comes down, sins come down, comes down is that number one. You identify it and don't deny it. Look, there's this pattern. What does a pattern mean? A pattern, whether you know how to wallpaper or not, the pattern will tell you something that's very important. Number one, a pattern is a pattern. It is not random. It is the curse without a cause does not come. It is it is it is deliberate. It's a deliberate pattern, and there is a designer behind that. So there's a demonic intelligence behind these patterns of generational curses. And the third thing is this pattern is predictable because in wallpaper, it repeats and the patterns repeat. So when you see this pattern, it's not a coincidence. There is someone who's behind it and it's going to repeat. You know there's something there. There's something going on there. It's not a coincidence. It's not a fate. It's not a, a bad luck. It's not It's not any of that. So it is a real deal. And Satan is doing something that needs to be dealt with. Yeah, in... in uh Leviticus, I think it's 26, and Deuteronomy 28, it says, when you see these kinds of things happen, when you see these... The patterns. The patterns. Yeah. And this is something that 
that you do, Marjorie, with uh, life recovery, mm-hmm. is that you do what you call a geneogram, where you look at both look at sides. Patterns, yeah. Look at the patterns. You're helping people see the patterns mm-hmm. of iniquity, so they they can be dealt with before God and they can be set free. Right, and These the reason we do that can be broken, and so that pattern does not have to continue mm-hmm. for them. It can stop with them. And it doesn't have to come down to their children or grandchildren. Well, the reason we do the patterns is to get the to convince them, to get them to see that this there's really right. something going Open on here. It's not just my life, you know, as an island unto myself, and there's no connections with anybody else. So uh, let me ask you this, just just real briefly here: um, What would you say to someone that's right now, if say if they're looking at the pattern of their life, their family? Mm-hmm. What would you say to them as they're looking at those patterns? What 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 are just basic steps that they would need to take? Well, first of all, you have to identify the patterns, and you have to know that the curse without a cause does not come. And and it says, you know, uh, that we're in Christ Jesus, and but it but that doesn't say the curse automatically goes away. It says we're in Christ Jesus, and what the Holy Spirit is coming to do is to deliver us from evil, lead, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so God wants us to see what's going on and then to take the steps. So the first thing you have to do is stop denying it, stop believing half a truth and say, there's something really going on here. And it's, it's, I'm suffering. I'm under some sort of demonic judgment, which is exactly right. You're under a demonic judgment that he's, he's inflicting you, coming against you with, because he has a right because there's still things that are left undone. But God has given you the power as the authorized representative of your bloodline to deal with not only your own, the things in your own life that are going on, but also to confess the sins of your fathers, as he said in Leviticus twenty six thirty nine. So what we do is we are saved. This, you know, these generational curses cannot unsave you. They can just trouble you a lot. And so if you're under demonic judgments that... Um, you don't really have to be under. I mean, yes, all all those who live godly in Christ Jesus are going to suffer persecution. We understand that. This is not going to be a a complete annihilation of every bad thing that's ever gone on in your life. But if you have, uh, Jesus said, I'm going to the cross and Satan has nothing on me. If Satan has nothing on you, if your generational bloodlines are truly um, come under the counsel of the blood of Jesus Christ, and the, and the cross of Calvary, then you can go forward with, as a warrior without having Satan have all this these goods on you, uh, crimes to take to the court of heaven and say, I have a right to you know pull the rug out from under him. I have a right to t- steal this. I have a right. Because you're going to be clean. And Jesus was clean. Why? Because he, 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 well, he didn't have any sin, but we know we have come from a place of sin and iniquity brought, brought forth an iniquity that we need to. And Paul even says, this body of death is still operating in me and I'm saved. And so he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ. There's now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So the, we have to convert to walking in the Spirit and obeying. And when the Spirit says, confess your sin, or the Spirit says, uh, repent, then do it. But there's basically a couple of steps. Once you identify uh, steps to breaking the curse, once you identify or accept that there is stuff going on, and you begin to see it, and you write it down. And say, "Oh, look! This is this is this is," and then you begin to say, "Well, where did this come from?" And Satan is a legalist, so it's going to come from something that's very similar, 
it's the, the, the product, the fruit is very similar to the, what's going on in the original crime. So if there was murder, for example, four generations back, and maybe it was never solved, maybe there was no one brought to justice, or maybe the people in the generation around the, the children of that person um, denied it or didn't deal with it or kept it a secret because it was too shameful, it never got confessed. So, so someone died unfairly, unjustly, you can now go to the court of heaven, even though it was four generations ago, and you can say, Father, I'm bringing this crime before the court of heaven right now on behalf of my great, great, great grandfather, uncle, whatever. And I'm, I'm declaring that this was a crime, and I'm asking the court to judge it. I'm asking the court for justice and restoration. I'm asking the, the court for uh, a resolve on this thing and acquittal for us, and that the criminal would be judged. Now, the criminal is really not the person who committed the crime. It is the enemy behind the criminal or the person. And so you say, I forgive. I release from my judgment. You have to release. You have to stop forgiving. You have to stop being the judge. You have to get a better judge. You have to go before the Father and say, I need a better judge. You be the judge of this thing. I will forgive. I will release them from my judgment and let you be the judge. And here's what here's what we want to do. We want to see that this the criminal, the real criminal is a spirit of murder or the spirit of rage or anger or whatever it was or injustice. We really ask God to, we forgive the person. We don't know the person. You say, I forgive the one who killed, who, you know, you know whatever he did or she. I, re, I, I release them from my judgment. And I'm asking you, Lord God, to bring forth um, justice and that you would judge the true enemy, that you judge the enemy of, of bloodshed, blood guilt, murder, heart attacks, blood clots, anything that's coming down your bloodline, it's going to be blood related. And by the way, I've written a couple of books on this. One is called Diagnosing Your Family Tree. So once you identify it, once you you confess it, you confess the sins, you ask for forgiveness, um, you ask the court of heaven to bring it to justice, then you, you, um, you forgive. You must forgive. And then after you've done that, you identify the patterns, you go to the court, you forgive, release them from your judgment, ask God to restore justice, and that be, that begins a new life. It's, then it truly is under the blood. Then truly Satan has nothing against you. Then Satan truly doesn't have a right to bring the, those sicknesses upon you. And then you can go to the court and say, God, I am forgiven. This is cleansed. So we, um, for more information, just check out liferecovery.com. You can go to our store, our website. Um, and also there's other information um, we'd be glad to share with you. So um, again... Yeah, once... The generational curses are broken, and you're and you're freed. You are free to release generational blessings. Right. The blessings of God will will flow in your life, mm-hmm. and and the uh, to you and your children and your children's children. So, Amen. Well, Father God, we thank you for the blessing of being set free through the blood of Jesus Christ, and we pray for, pray for the appropriation of that blessing upon your church, upon your people, that we will no longer live in condemnation or guilt or regret or anxiety or fear, and that we will not surrender ourselves to the spirit of fear, but we will be more than conquerors and do what you've called us to do without being afraid, and that you'll give us joy, great joy and peace as we um, patiently possess our souls as we wait for you to return. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I have an emergency. What is your location? 
for your 